Are you a professional woman who wants to create passive income streams and financial freedom through real estate investing? Join us here on Real Estate Investor Goddesses, hosted by Monique Holm. Listen to women who are rocking it in real estate investments as they share their stories of success, failures, and best advice in real estate investing. Start creating real wealth through real estate. Tune in today. Here's your host, real estate investor, syndicator, and developer, Monique Holm. Welcome to the Real Estate Investor Goddesses podcast. I'm your host, Monique Hom. On this show, I interview amazing women who are doing really cool things in real estate. And today, I'm super excited to have with me Courtney Richardson, who is, she's brilliant in so many things. She does tons of different things in investing. I met her a couple of years ago at a conference called FinCon. It's a conference for people who are, I guess, influencers in the financial world. And it's a money nerd conference. And I'm a money nerd and Courtney too. She's cooler than me, but we're both nerds in that way. And she's awesome. I'm super excited to have her here. She founded the Ivy Investor in 2014, which is a resource for women seeking to navigate the maze of the investment world in ways that make sense. She's a current attorney and former stockbroker and investment advisor with 15 years of experience in the financial services industry. She lends her legal and financial expertise to such outlets as the Huffington Post, AOL, MyFab Finance, Forbes, and other online publications, and now the Real Estate Investor Goddesses podcast. <laughs> she was named as one of the seven Black millennial financial experts to follow on Instagram in 2019 by Black Enterprise. She holds a BA degree in philosophy from University of Pittsburgh. She also has a JD from West Virginia University College of Law and LLM in taxation. Certificate in estate planning from Temple University Beasley School of Law. She's super knowledgeable and, and she's probably, I think you're like the foremost expert in cannabis investing. <laughs> she knows everything there is to know about cannabis investing. We're going to talk a lot about that today. It is a interesting land play as well as there are other ways mm. of investing in cannabis, but I know it is a very sexy new area of investing and I'm happy to have her here to talk about that. You also know a lot about tax liens and tax deeds and all of that. I do. I do. Yeah, because that's her day job working in that. So welcome, Courtney. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Great to have you. And before we started going, she was telling me about her first big foray into investing. And she's doing a major rehab. Do you want to share really quickly about that? <laughs> yeah. So it is, it is a three-story house in uh, Philadelphia and it was built in 1933. It has a lot of the original, I guess, fixings and fixtures, I should say. So super heavy. We just started demo on Tuesday and, you know, they filled a huge, huge dumpster and they thought initially when I talked to my contractor, he said, yeah, I think it's going to be about two tons. And then he comes to me today and he's like, well, you know, I think it's probably going to be closer to four. I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, because it was an older home and a lot of the original fixtures is that they use like really heavy good materials. You know, back in the day, they used, con you know, like concrete, concrete. He's like, your whole bathroom is concrete on the second floor. Did you know that? I was like, you know, no, I didn't, but thanks. And, you know, we have like 
There was a cedar closet there. So it was just a beautiful home. But the problem is, is that there was water damage from a roof leak. So unfortunately, there was a lot of damage that we just have to, you just sometimes you just have to go down to the bones. And that's what we're doing. So we're expecting our timeline is about four months. That's what we're looking at. And as you know, (laughs) it it could be longer. (laughs) Yes. We hope not. We hope not. But one of the things that I'm really excited to get into is that the property is eligible for a property tax abatement. So we'll be putting that documentation in probably uh, mid-August. And what that is in, in Pennsylvania, it's available in Philadelphia and in Pittsburgh. And it allows a property owner who has completely, based on the, the level of improvements, but in this case is a complete gut, basically not pay any taxes on the improvement on the building or the, oh, it's the building, for 10 years. Oh, and great. you're only paying taxes on the land. So that's another, I tell people a lot when we're investing, you know, we have to kind of understand the contractual stuff, like getting with contractors, understanding certain things. But on the other side, you have to know the financial aspects of it because you could be missing out on a really good opportunity. So in this case, I knew about the abatement program. So I said, okay, I immediately looked it up when we, when we started the program and we'll start at the process because I knew what our numbers were going to be. And I said, okay, this is the documentation that I need. And it has to be done by December 31st of the year that you pull your permits. So it feels like we have a lot of time, but before you know it, we're going to be right at that deadline. And I don't want to miss on that great opportunity because again, I think based on the, on the value, we'd probably be saving approximately maybe anywhere from like three thirty-five hundred to $3,700 a year in property tax. That makes a so, big difference. It does. It does. So super excited about that. So that's my most recent and, you know, I guess my first foray into real estate investing. And as my business and my stock investments kind of pick up, I have a real estate background. I was a title attorney when I first got into being an attorney. When I first graduated from law school. So one of the things that I realized just even understanding and with my LLM and taxation is that real estate is kind of like the most favored asset. It is the most favored asset class in the tax code. So I needed something to kick, kick some, some love off against my, my other investments because you start getting yourself into tax trouble and not tax trouble in a, a way that you're doing something wrong. But when the more money you make, the more you're taxed. So you have to find ways to reduce your taxes and real estate is a great place to do that. Isn't that, isn't that amazing? Because I always thought you make more money, you, you get paid more or you tax more. But with real estate, you mm-hmm. can still be making money with the real estate, but it reduces your taxes. Well, yeah. So it's not just what you make, it's what you get to keep. Exactly. The difference. And what is your plan with this property? You're, you're getting it, you're fixing it up. What are you looking to do with it? So, well, our goal is to live there. That is like our thing. But I was, as I was sharing before we started recording, is that our next property we're actually looking to purchase at the end of the year. Uh, we're actually purchasing it from another family member, which I'm really excited about because they don't, they're like, we're try- I'm trying to get out of it. We're like, that's great. We're trying to get into it. Uh, so we're purchasing that. So right now we're going to live in the property we're working on now. We're purchasing another property. And then top of the year, we're purchasing a multifamily. So it's, it's kind of like I wasn't doing anything in real estate. And then now I'm doing everything in real yeah, estate. You're all in. <laughs> I know. And, and again, I'm still kind of like, when I saw like the studs today, I was like, oh my gosh, what did I do? Um, but but again, you know, it's, I, think, I think at some point I'm going to catch the bug because when I see this tax benefits, not necessarily from the one that we're, we're actually living in, but the one that we're picking up towards the end of the year, I'm going to be very happy. Yes, you will. Yes, you will. So, and I, I don't know how it works. I'm not an expert in cost segregation. 
and how that works if you're going to live there versus it's an investment property. But definitely look into that because that mm -hmm. cost segregation, especially with the bonus depreciation that is offered now, is a very generous. Um, yeah, the bonus depreciation is very generous. <laughs> <laughs> yes. yes, it yeah. is. You can take 100% depreciation on what you're, what you're putting in. So that is really, really good. I don't know if it works if you're going to live there. but Yeah, I don't think so. But like I said, I'm really excited about the one that we're picking up. I think we're going to be able to do it. And it's actually right across. It's right close to Temple University, which is a, like an up and coming area, mm -hmm. like most university areas are. Now, how that is now based on COVID, I don't know. But it still has a very good value. And it's still, people are still like kind of grabbing real estate like, you wouldn't believe here. So I think yes. we'll be fine with it. Great. So let me ask you a question about the title stuff because, mm -hmm. you know, you, you really know a lot about that and, and you've been working in the, in the act, the tax auction, right? Mm -hmm. So share briefly how that works for people who are trying to invest that way. And maybe what are some of the biggest mistakes you see people make? So each county is different. Each state is different. But what I have seen across the board is that people, it depends if you're in a deed state or if you're in a lien state. So for the most part, Pennsylvania is a deed state. Now, every so often they will do a tax lien sale, but it's like once in a blue moon. That being said, is that when you're purchasing in a tax deed state, you take possession of the property once the proper time period has elapsed. So in the case of in each, each law, there's about, there's two laws that are predominant in Pennsylvania. It's called Retzel, which is a real estate tax lien something. I never use, I don't use Retzel that often because my counties don't really use it. And we have the MCTLA, which is the Municipal Claims and Tax Lien Act. So I share that with you is that under the MCTLA, which is what Philadelphia and Pittsburgh, the two largest cities in Pennsylvania, that's what they use. So when you purchase the property, you basically have 10% down, you pay your 90% in 30 days, and then 30 days after you pay that final payment, then that's when you get the tax deed. However, you know, you have the right of redemption and you also have the right, there's right of redemption. You also have a set aside. So the right of redemption is saying, hey, the owner who lost the property can come back about nine months after the deed has been acknowledged. So remember, that's like 60 days out. So we're almost looking at a year and say, hey, okay. hi, it's me. I'm going to pay what property. I owe. <laughs> right. I, I want to my property back. I'm going to pay what I owe. Plus you, hi, you know, purchaser, third party purchaser. I have to pay you 10% in any necessary expenses of property. So if there was something wrong with the roof and the person had to come up to basically secure the property, that person has to pay them. So that's the redemption. And then you also have a set aside, which is, hey, selling, you know, taxing authority, county, city, whatever, you didn't do something right. So we're going to completely undo the sale. So a lot of people get upset about redemptions. They're like, oh my gosh, what did they redeem? I'm like, ha! What if they redeem? You don't lose anything. You get your bid price, you get 10%, and then also any necessary expenses of property. So as long as you keep your receipts, you're fine. fine. But a lot of people don't realize that. But then on the set aside, that's where there's the bigger problem. And the set aside is when, like I said, the selling authority, the taxing authority does something wrong. Like they don't give notice. There's something procedurally wrong with the sale. And that's when they undo it. And that's when life gets very messy. So I, if anyone said I have redemption, I'm like, eh, redemption, no problem. Redemption, whatever. But set aside, I'm like, oh, like I'm sweating. My, I'm patting my brow. <laughs> Because again, you can still look for reimbursement because you have an idea of, you know, unjust enrichment. So if I basically have a property that I had to, because I'm the owner, 
that I had to fix a roof, I had to fix some sort of issue to keep the property, you know, safe, secure, whatever. I still, you know, this person gets a property with a brand new roof. Well, you don't really deserve that, even if there's a sale that's procedurally wrong. So again, it's about keeping your receipts. And I tell people, a lot of people are like, well, I did it myself. I'm like, that's fine, but you still need to have some sort of documentation. So if you're a contractor, if you're doing that work, always write it down. You know, I went to Lowe's, I spent $10,000 at Lowe's. Here's my receipt, you know, my labor, estimate your labor. I estimated my labor at, you know, $50 an hour. Then, you know, hey, every day that you're there at the property, write it down. I was at the property for four hours. So if something were to happen, you have the ability to actually get reimbursed or made whole for your time and your effort. But if you don't have it, the court's like, well, you know, all we can do is what, all we can deal with is what was is in front of us. And if there's nothing in front of them, what do you there's think? No evidence. Do? Yeah, they can't. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. I think that's a big thing. So how often do set-asides happen? Set-asides happen, I would say, I would say maybe once a sale. And there's a sale about once a month. So once a sale, and we, and they, we put up about 400 properties a sale. Okay. So about, you know, that, not often. However, one of the things is often that, enough. Yeah, it's, it's often enough. But a lot of times now, I think the, the bigger question is how often are they successful? And I would say a fraction of a fraction of the time. Okay, so they may request it set aside, but how often is it actually set aside is pretty small. Correct. Okay. Because we've gotten sued enough to make sure that our process (laughs) is pretty clean. (laughs) So, yeah. Okay. And and people would want to, they'll invest in these tax deeds because they get the properties at a very significant discount, right? Correct. Correct. And I think one of the things that I am very careful about when I would look at a property that's that I would consider looking at a property that I'm purchasing at sheriff sale is I'm going to look at the title. Always going to look at the title. I mean, there's a requirement under the law that the taxing authority has to run a title before they actually put the property up for sale. But one of the things that I think is really important in looking at that is just making sure that there's nothing irregular by your eye. And I mean, and people are like, well, how would I know, Courtney? I'm like, well, if John Doe owned the property today, And John Doe owns the property like today. And it was a deed conveyed like today. And the last deed from John Doe or whomever was like 30 years ago. And then you look at it, you're like, that looks like a pretty fresh signature, you know, Mm -hmm. as opposed to somebody who's older. You're like, hmm, there's a lot of property fraud. You know, when a property pops up on a sheriff's cell deed, not only investors are looking to get at the property. Does that make sense? Yeah. So I just tell people it just definitely double check because there may be a deed that's filed like that day or the day before. And that can cause a, a big <laughs> for I know this word is played out, but it does cause an entanglement. It does yes. cause, cause an entanglement for you as a third party purchaser, just in case that happens. So those are the things that, you know, I, I definitely tell people is that, you know, one, know the rules. Two, take a look at the title just to make sure, like just do a light title just to kind of see who owns it. We sell them under the MCTLA free and clear. So there's real estate taxes, a first lien position. So everything below it is gone. So it's not something to be really concerned about like, oh, there's a mortgage from 1965. Well, it really doesn't matter because we basically wipe it, wipe everything out below us. But it's still nice to know the chain of title about ownership because you just want to make sure that's clean. So somebody doesn't come back and say, you got to set aside this sale because I I own it or something like that. Correct. Okay, that's super helpful. And I could spend the whole time talking to you about this too. <laughs> you know, you know so many things about so many things. But I want to talk about I want to talk about the cannabis as well. First, how did you how did you get to become expert in this? My students actually are the reason why I even looked at cannabis. 
So I think it's like late 2017, maybe early 2018, somewhere around then, maybe, yeah, about somewhere around there. I had a lot of my students asking about, about it. It's like, hey, what do you know about cannabis? I'm like, you smoke it? <laughs> like, what else do you want me to tell you? And they're like, well, what do you think about it as investment? I'm like, no, absolutely not. And I had a couple of students come to me and I was like, no. And they were like, Courtney, well, what about this? What about that? And they would kind of offer some other ideas. And I was like, you know what? I think I was, I had a knee-jerk reaction. Let me go research it and let me see what I can find out and let's talk about it. Because I, you're like the fifth, sixth, seventh person to ask me about it. And you're all, none of you are related. So I said, well, maybe there's something there. So I did some research and I said, wow, there's something here. So I just became a student of the cannabis industry and I became a student of the cannabis industry and then also added stocks to it because cannabis is, as you can appreciate, is highly legal. It's just a legal, it's legal upon legal upon legal. It's like, it's like a, I guess, an avalanche of legality. I don't know if what so else When you're saying it. it's highly legal, like, there are a lot of laws about it. <laughs> so Correct. So yeah. there's a federal, there's federal laws, there's state laws, federal laws conflict with state laws. Then the federal, yeah, laws. federal government is trying to, to kind of piecemeal a solution around it which is interesting. And then you also have Canada, which is like coming like this dark horse Canada that came out and legalized medicinal marijuana in 2001. And then they had a 2018, they legalized recreational. So they kind of had this framework of the like the most, I guess they're the most developed country in the world that has a legalized cannabis structure. So you have Canada above us, our neighbor to our north has legalized cannabis. United States is kind of like, in a hodgepodge. I mean, I call it like the United States of Cannabis because when I put up a map, you can just see, you know, the liberal states are like, we're down, it's it's on, we're 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 down for the cause. So you kind of see the coasts are like super green because that means that when I do a map, I'll do super dark green for legalized recreational or I should say uh, responsible adult use. That's more of the appropriate term. <laughs> and then you have medicinal use. So that's dark, dark green. And then on the other side, we have dark, dark green on the side of like the northern, you have Massachusetts, you have kind of those states up there. And then you kind of see as you come down the coast, it starts getting a little bit lighter because that means they only have a medicinal marijuana program. But you're kind of starting to see the conversation and see the changes. So again, and then you also see in the middle kind of the Bible Belt and you're just like, What's going on down there? Nothing. Okay. It's all gray. <laughs> so it's just like a hodgepodge. So it's like basically the United States of America, it's United States of cannabis is all over the place. And everybody is kind of like, I don't know if you've ever seen a Sesame Place where they're like, everybody's doing their own thing. That's exactly what's going on in cannabis. <laughs> everybody's doing their own thing. It's like, you know, it's like the wild, wild west. And we call it the green rush because everybody expects to get rich off of doing something, touching the plant. But honest to goodness, and this is where the real estate play comes in, it's really the plant supporting businesses that are taking off. And part of that is part of the tax code. There is a rule called 280E that says if you are engaged in any business that touches a Schedule 1 or a Schedule 2 drug, you're not able to take any ordinary necessary expenses of business. So you're probably going, huh? So cannabis, um, excuse me, I should say marijuana because the Farm Bill in 2018 got rid of hemp as part of, as being illegal. So hemp is now legal. That's where the CBD is coming from. But you have this marijuana process over here. Let so me pause you for a second because I want, I want people, mm -hmm. I've seen you present about this and you separate it out, but I think most people don't understand what's the difference between hemp and marijuana. Okay. So hemp and marijuana, like, so 
I'm frustrated because it, the definition that the government gives is not a real definition. So the definition that's presented by the federal government or the United States government, they said, listen, industrial hemp is any cannabis that has less than 0.3% of THC. We know THC as the intoxicating agent of marijuana. So that's what they said. Anything 0.3% or less, that's going to be industrial hemp. And then anything more than that is going to be marijuana. Now, here's the kicker. 0.3% of THC is not getting anyone high. It's just not. So that's the first thing. So it's like a, it's an arbitrary thought. But hemp is actually a fiber and less a plant than more a fiber. So in terms of real estate using hemp, hemp at one point was used as rope, but it was also used for paper. It was used as a substitute for wood. It's used also, if you pulverize it, it can also be used as a substitute for concrete. So it's a lot more sustainable because hemp kind of grows like a weed. You know, so it's more sustainable. I have a hemp t-shirt. Oh, do you? Running shirt. Yeah. Like a hemp fabric running shirt. Yeah. Yeah. So oh. it's a super sustainable. Do you like running in it? Yeah, it feels pretty good. <laughs> <Yeah>. so, <laughs> it's like sort of silky and feels good. <laughs> I, was, I probably should grab one because I actually have my Peloton. So I do cycling <laughs> in the house, but I, I should probably grab one. But there's, yeah. so I share that with you is that it's a sustainable kind of textile fabric whatever. That's what hemp is. So it's a really great play for real estate because as time goes on and we try to get a lot more green, like I said, it's a more sustainable plant and it actually produces some really great things for the real estate market. And as we try to build more, build better, I think that's where we're going to be looking to heavily in hemp. So that's the first thing. So, but hemp is legal and then CBD is cannabidiol. And that's kind of one of the derivatives uh, or cannabinoid from industrial hemp. And a lot of people use that kind of for the, the kind of calming, soothing effects of CBD. Um, mm-hmm. So that's kind of on that side. Now, so that's less side, than the 0.3. Correct. Percent. So that's not going to get you high. So that's all, that's legal. But then the, on the other side, the stuff that, you know, makes you funny, that one, <laughs> that's marijuana. Yes, exactly. So, okay. the stuff that, so that is still illegal. 11 states have legalized recreational, as kind of people call it, but we'll call it responsible adult use or adult okay. use. And then um, 33 states have legalized medicinal. So that's kind of what the framework is right now. But again, it's still Definitely illegal. the minority that doesn't, you know, doesn't work. So 17 states, nothing. Mm-hmm. But then, okay. So it's, 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 so the medicinal side, it's kind of like Canada. I tell people that history doesn't repeat itself, it rhymes. So Canada was like, okay, fine, we'll do medicinal in 2001. It took them 18 years or 17 years to bring on recreational. I don't know if it'll take that long in the United States, but I think one of the things about COVID that has really kind of changed things is that a lot of dispensaries were considered essential. Mm-hmm. So it's changing to me, it seems like the thought process behind the necessity of having marijuana as a staple is coming a little bit more to the forefront. So we're really kind of taking it seriously, like, oh, well, maybe, you know, people need this just like they need their other medicines. So I think that's kind of changing the ideas. So I, I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if they kind of split the baby and said, we're going to uh, legalize medicinal first and then see how it goes. You mean nationwide? Nationwide, correct. I, I wouldn't be surprised if that, that happens. I think a lot of activists are just like, forget it. Let's not do that. Let's full, go full steam ahead and do recreational adult use, which would include medicinal. 
But also a lot of people, like I said, people want to get rich off the gold rush. I'm like, or the green rush has to say, but it's really like these other plays, like also real estate and cannabis that is pretty much taking off. I mean, cannabis is a plant. What do you need to grow a plant? Land, (laughs) a lot of it and different types of land too. It's not just, oh, I need land to grow. I mean, your yields when you grow outdoors, I believe is about 70%. When you grow indoors, I mean, in terms of like what you can, for ba- what I mean by yield is basically what you put in the ground to plant to basically what you bring out for harvest. So you kind of lose about 30%, you know, outside or outdoors. Your yields are a little bit better indoors. I believe it goes up about 10%. So if I plant, you know, I will say 10 plants, eight of them I can take to market or um, if I'm in a greenhouse or indoors. And if I'm outside, if I plant 10 plants, I can take about seven of them to market. Now, here's the thing. I don't know this personally, but they say that the outdoor weed tastes better. I don't know. I can't verify that. I don't that. know. I don't smoke it. <laughs> I don't but, either. So but, I, I don't know. But that's that's the conversation that they feel that there is a better quality of plant that's grown in soil outdoors than it is in a greenhouse. But, you know, weed also has to grow. It grows best in a warm climate. So the better, the warmer the climate, the more resin you receive from a marijuana plant. And the resin is where the THC is. So that's why everybody loves California weed because it's warm and it's sunny. It's a good environment to grow. So you're going to have land that you're going to need. There is a marijuana REIT, which is uh, IIPR, which is Industrial Innovative Industrial Properties. So what they do, what their business model is, is they lease out, um, they purchase a property for some sort of marijuana use, whether it's growing, dispensary, whatever, and then they lease it to a, a marijuana company. Okay. And then they receive the rents from those properties and they're a REIT. So they basically push and by law, they're required and retail investing Mm -hmm. investments. So they're going to push that out. About 90% of their profits has to go to their their shareholders. So that's why everybody seems to like REIT. So that's kind of like another real estate cannabis play that I think you're going to see more of them. And a lot of other cannabis companies are thinking about creating REITs to kind of deal with their real estate holdings to try to get away from 280E. Because, you know, it's just real estate holdings. Yeah doesn't really matter what's in it because it's basically a way not to penalize your whole entire business by spinning off the real estate. So again, so it's like, a different entity could own the real estate and then another entity is growing it. There you go. Yeah. So everybody's trying to get creative. And I think I always laugh when I look at people's creative strategies or our business's creative strategy. And I'm like, the first thing they do is like, well, what are we going to do with this real estate? We're going to do something with it. And because it's so valuable, you know, it just keeps yeah. reminding you, it reminds you of the, like, hey, out of all these things we have, this is the most valuable. Same thing even with Sears. I mean, Sears were bankrupt. They've had so many problems. But the one thing that they had was the most valuable of their portfolio was what? All real of the real estate. So they ended up spinning that off into a REIT. Mm. I get very real estate play. That's <laughs> a McDonald's, right? They're, yeah. they're a real estate company. <laughs> like, it just so happens they have burgers right <laughs> exactly exactly it. i've been telling people that so happen to sell burgers so so for people who are interested in the cannabis investing and having what would you recommend if they're just starting and what would you recommend to them well i would first always tell people educated investor is a good investor so yep. always you know basically educate yourself about it there's so much information out there but you can't sometimes it's hard if you don't know enough about the industry just kind of going in to kind of separate the real from the fake so i mean i have a class that i teach oh. and 
that I mean, tell I think, us a little bit about your class. So what we do in the class is we talk about kind of all the legalese and all the legal stuff that kind of pushes the agenda for the cannabis industry. And I tell people about the legal aspects. So one, they understand what they're getting into, but it, it definitely dictates exactly where the industry is going to be going and where the opportunities are. So we kind of talk about prohibition, which is alcohol. They had prohibition in the, in the early 1920s and kind of how that looked and how that rolled out. And I said, you know what, there's some opportunities here where I think cannabis may mirror. So we talk about that. We also talk about the war on drugs and the Controlled Substances Act of 1970 and how that affects, like we talk about 280E, uh, which is the tax rule. But we also talk about the Safe Banking Act, because one of the things about these cannabis companies that are in the United States, they can't use banking. Banking is not an option for them because one of the things about banking institutions is, is they have a requirement that they cannot aid and abet illegal businesses. Guess what yeah. cannabis is on the, on the federal side? Illegal. So they have the Safe Banking Act. So we talk about some of the legislation that's kind of in the pipe, but we also say, hey, if this, like, it's kind of like the, the light switch. If the switch flips on, the game is going to change. So if we ever get marijuana off of Schedule 1, the game is going to change. So that's the first thing. The second thing is, is that if we can at least get them some lip, like really helpful banking resources, the game is going to change. It's not going to be as poignant as if once we get them off Schedule 1, but it's still going to be, it's going to change the game for these marijuana companies. All the marijuana companies that are publicly traded in, that are United States marijuana companies that are publicly traded are actually traded in Canada. Now, they're not traded on the Toronto Stock Exchange because we have the New York Stock Exchange in the United States and we have the Toronto Stock Exchange in Canada. And they're kind of like, they're like the, I guess, the equivalent of each other in their respective mm -hmm. companies. I mean, countries, excuse me. But one of the big things that makes a difference is that in both of these, their charters are like one of the requirements of being listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange, New York Stock Exchange, or the NASDAQ is you can't be engaged in any illegal business. But the Canadian Securities Exchange says, you know what, bring me your tired, your, your poor, your huddled <laughs> masses. Come over here. We'll take you, U.S. Here. companies. So they came up. So a lot of the U.S. companies that are the big ones here are actually traded in Canada. So a lot of times I'm not a huge fan of investing in foreign companies. But I think that's our best solution right now of looking at these companies in the United States and kind of looking at their plays. So we talk about all the companies that are available in that are United States company doing business in the United States as cannabis companies, but how they're trading in, the United, in Canada and what that looks like. Then we also talk about non-plant touching companies because not every cannabis company that we know it to be actually touches the plant. There's so many yeah. things. I mean, I think we get stuck in cannabis and saying dispensary and grower. And it's like, okay, but who is going to take the plant of cannabis and actually condense it into a oil? You need, and a, a lot of things is, is that I tell people you need to have, you need to look at companies that were doing these things before and they just brought their gifts and talents to the cannabis industry because they pretty much know what they're doing. So there's a company called Waters Company and it's out of Boston, Massachusetts. The reason why I like them is that they've been extracting oils from plants for almost 100 years. So mm -hmm. then they got into the cannabis industry. Well, what do you think they're going to do in the cannabis industry? They're going to body the cannabis industry because that's kind of what they do. They take oils from plants. That's it. So yeah. whether it's cannabis or basil, it's pretty much the same process. Or and if it's not the same exact same process, they have the mind able to do the work because they have a baseline. Yes. So you have that. You have Scott's Miracle Grow. Like we know them from like Walmart, but they actually have a whole hydroponics line 
that actually supports the cannabis industry. So there's so many other companies that don't necessarily touch the plant, but support the plant. And we have a lot of conversations about that. And then we also have conversations about pooled investments in cannabis. So there, it's like a basket of cannabis companies. And a lot of people are like, hey, Courtney, I think this is a really good opportunity, but I don't really feel comfortable in picking one company. Well, what's, do I have an other alternative? I'm like, you sure do. You have the ability to get, I don't really like mutual funds for cannabis, but you can get an ETF, which is an exchange traded fund. So it's a fund traded on the stock exchange, but it's a basket, it's a basket of stocks traded on the stock exchange. I really like it. They're really, they're good because it's kind of like a slicing of the industry, but it doesn't expose you to multiple companies. So I think it gives you that exposure people are looking for, but it doesn't require you to do a lot of heavy lifting in terms of knowledge. That's so cool. So how can people find out more about you and this course, the other stuff you're, you're teaching and doing? So you can always find me on my website, which is the www.theivyinvestor.com. I'm heavy on Instagram. That's like my biggest social media platform. And so I'm the Ivy Investor on Instagram. So www.instagram.com slash Ivy Investor. I'm also on Facebook, www.facebook.com slash the Ivy Investor. <laughs> and then Twitter, I'm the Ivy Investor. And I'm also on YouTube. I'm kind of just starting the YouTube. I'm not really great at it, but I'm like just starting it. So we're getting there. Okay. The Ivy Investor on all the socials. All of them. (laughs) And and online. So you can find her there. All right. Well, it is time for our famed end of show, Trinity, which is a brag, a gratitude, and a desire. So what is your brag? What's one thing that you are celebrating? I am celebrating this house, getting this house on the road. I have been working on this house in one way, shape, or form. In terms of we had a roof to put on, we, and that was two years ago. We've just been, I had to do some title issues, clean them up. And I just really am so glad to get this party or this show on the road. So that's my brag because, or, you know, my gratitude and my brag because brag. I've been working on it. I've been working well on it. We've been working. So that's, <laughs> that's a great thing. So yeah. Well bragged, well bragged. And what's, what's a, what's a gratitude? Gratitude, my health. I actually had COVID earlier this month. Oh no, I didn't know this. Yeah, so it's not like a public thing, but it's not like private either. So I had it, I had it for about, like the worst of it was about three days. And you know, like when I looked at it, there was an article floating around that kind of gave you the level, like I was like level two. So it wasn't really terrible, but still, you know, I had it. So I'm just really glad and grateful for my health. You know, I've lost like 60 pounds since you've been this time last fire. year. You've been on fire. I'm so proud Thank of you. <laughs> and that really helped. That helped a lot. I'm sure like, you know, I, I can't imagine how I would have fared had I been heavier because, you know, being heavy, being overweight really does contribute negatively to your outcomes when it comes to COVID. So I was on my Peloton, you know, I was working, I was working out. It was only two days. I was like, Courtney, I just need to lay in bed. But I did work as much as I could because I was following kind of the general understanding of, you know, if you can work out, work out, work those lungs. So I was doing that. So it worked out, you know, relatively well. I, I feel fine. I feel better. But, you know, you just don't take your health for granted. So that's definite gratitude. Well, I'm grateful you're, you're better too. Thank you. And last but not least, what is one desire? Oh, to build up this real estate portfolio. My goal is to get probably around 2 million by this time next year. That is my goal. I think we're relatively close to getting it based on a couple of the things that we have in the pipe. So I'm super excited about that. That's, but that's my desire to kind of make that goal come to fruition. 
Well, so shall your desire be, or so much better than you can imagine. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for coming on. This was so fun to talk to you. I feel like we need to three more shows to talk about all, (laughs) touch the surface of all of it that you know. This is really great. Again, y'all, you can find Courtney at the Ivy Investor on all social and on, and at www.thesocial.com at the ivyinvestor.com. You can connect with me at REI Goddesses or real estate or reigoddesses.com. On there, I have a book that I am I'm gifting you, uh, investing in real estate from $1 to $1 million, investing strategies for every budget and every goddess. Go check it out. We also have a free training and an investor club where you can find out about our passive investing opportunities. So go to reigoddesses.com for all the goodies. And join us next time for another Real Estate Investor Goddess podcast interview. Bye-bye. You have just listened to another episode of Real Estate Investor Goddesses, a show dedicated to sharing stories of women creating real wealth through real estate. If you found value on what you just heard, feel free to share with your friends. Visit us at reigoddesses.com to learn more about our programs and live events, as well as to access other resources. Until next time.